0: Survival in Motion Podcast. Learn. Adapt. Prepare. Survive. Hello, everyone. This is author Cal Wilson. Welcome to another episode of the Survival in Motion Podcast. On today's episode, what I'm going to be talking about is the movement to blacklist the group of Trump supporters of conservatives, of Republicans, and even Christians. And it's not being called blacklisting, but that's what it is. I think the people doing the effective blacklisting don't want to call it that because that would conjure up comparisons to Senator Joseph McCarthy in the 1950s and the blacklisting he did back then, which liberals universally say is a horrible thing and they don't want to be lumped in with him, even though. We're kind of running full circle here. That's what's going on. I want to back up for a second. I remember back when the Trump administration first started and hearing about Michael Flynn, who was appointed to be the national security advisor. This is not a cabinet position, but it's pretty close. It's way up there. And I think the first or second day on the job, A couple of FBI agents showed up at his door, just knocked on the door, just, Hi, how's it going? Just want to chat. Just sit down and chat. And he invites them in into his office, and then they have a chat. We find out later that those two FBI agents were sent there to just ask Flynn what he was up to the last couple of days and try to trip him up in what he would say to them. And so, therefore, they could charge him with lying to the FBI. And I remember hearing about that, and I remember thinking, that's kind of naive. I mean, why did he allow the FBI into his office just to chat? I think from what I saw at the time in 2016, I just thought, yeah, they're out to get people who work with Trump. And obviously, that's what was going on here. And I think if Flynn could go back in time, he would say, no, I would never let those FBI people in my office just to chat because they're out to get me. And they were. So that's kind of typical of what's going on. I've got a link in the show notes here about a a woman who has a private business, just a business on her own. And word went out that she supported Trump. I think she voted for Trump and she might have contributed to Trump. And now her business is getting harassed. Her customers are getting harassed and she's losing customers right and left. And also she's been doxxed, which is a procedure whereby somebody finds out all your intimate details and then just posts them on the Internet for all to see and for anyone to abuse if they want. People can take that information and go apply for a loan or something. It's a way of really screwing up a person's life. And why are they doing this? Well, because she was a Trump supporter. So that's where we're at right now. I've got a theory about how to explain today's left a way to explain why they act the way they do. And of course, I'm going to be painting with a broad brush. Are there exceptions to this? Of course. But I'm talking about the more intense liberals out there. And I haven't heard anybody else come up with this theory, but I'm going to give it a shot. I think it's a good theory. It's something I've been thinking about for a while. But here goes. Most people on the right and the left tend to listen to the higher-up people in that movement less cynically. And by that, I mean conservatives like myself. I tend to listen to the higher-ups in the conservative commentariat less skeptically. I tend to almost immediately agree with what is being said by, take your pick. I always like Ted Cruz, but Ben Carson is one, although he's not so vocal that much all the time. But Thomas Sowell, Various leaders in the conservative movement, whenever they make a comment on a certain issue of the day, I tend to listen to it very acceptingly. I'll put it that way. And I think it's the same for liberals, too. It's just human nature. Now, when it comes to liberals today, among the leaders of the liberal commentariat are Hillary Clinton and former President Barack Obama, because they are very vocal liberals. And one thing that those two people have in common is they follow and they are fans of Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky, who did a bunch of writing about the conflict between right and left, and he came up with a number of ideas and suggestions for liberals of how to interact with conservatives. And if you've never read his book or his writings, Saul Alinsky It doesn't matter. The main thing you need to know about Saul Alinsky is that his ideas, his writings, they're 100% on how to combat conservatives. There's zero on how to convince people that liberalism is great. There's no convincing, no attempt at reasoning with people at all. It's all how to badger people, how to intimidate people. He didn't use the word "docs," but, you know, how to do stuff that will enable liberals to win the day, besides persuading. There's no attempt at persuading anybody of anything. It's all just combat and how liberals can combat with conservatives. And when we've got two leaders of the left liberal movement in the United States today who are fans of Saul Alinsky. Remember, Obama made the statement something like, bring a gun to a knife fight, that kind of thing. Get up in their faces. All these people have said a number of things that it shows where they're coming from is not convincing anybody of anything. It's how to combat conservatives and how to badger them and embarrass them so that they back down and let liberals run the show. As far as I'm concerned, that explains it, why liberals act the way they do. And it's subtle and it filters its way in different ways down to the average liberal man or woman on the streets. And that way of thinking has permeated the brains of the liberal in America, right down to the student, the person who has no job, the checker at the grocery store who's a liberal. That filters down to them. And that's why liberalism today—and like I said, I've, I'm have i painting with a broad brush— but liberalism today is filled with a lot of combat against conservatives. It's not trying to convince conservatives that liberalism is the best way. No, there's none of that. There's no attempt at convincing anybody of anything. It's all a matter of combat and embarrassing people, getting conservatives to back down. So that's my theory. And I think that explains why we're at the situation we're in today, which is, It's a combat situation. It's not a battle of ideas at all. If ever there's a discussion of right versus left, and I disagree with you and you disagree with me, the liberal in the discussion doesn't disagree. The liberal tends to hate. I'm reminded of a family visit I had recently where one of the family members I visited was a a very, very strong liberal, reads the New York Times all the time and, and absorbs it all. And I was feeling some real hostility in that setting. And I remember driving away. And as I drove away, I just reminded myself, liberals don't disagree. Liberals hate. I think that explains a lot of what's going on today. There's no attempt at persuading anybody of anything. It's a matter of combat. And that explains why this blacklisting is going on right now. And here's something else I'd like to point out. And this is probably pretty obvious to everybody, but... There are several different major institutions in the United States, all of which have now gone far left. And it started with the universities and colleges in the United States. There is no tolerance for any conservative thought or any, God forbid, a a Trump supporter on campus. You know, that person would be immediately ruined. That's been the case for a long time. Now it's spreading from colleges into high schools and then middle schools and, then of course, in elementary schools as well, that everybody's far left, everybody adopts far left political ideas. And if you dare to disagree with everybody else, then you're ruined, you're fired, and you have no more career. And I'm kind of amused from time to time how you read about University of California, Berkeley, which prides itself as being the beginning of the free speech movement. Well, it's not exactly the free speech movement. It's the beginning of the free speech movement for liberals only, because there is no free speech movement for conservatives. The conservatives are not tolerated. So that's colleges and universities. We also have media. We've got news reporting and we've got entertainment, all of which is far, far, far left. My wife watches a lot of murder mystery TV shows, and I find myself watching these murder mystery TV shows. And it's very subtle how every once in a while something gets thrown in that has nothing to do with the storyline, nothing to do with the death and who killed whom. It's just kind of a theme kind of introduced to try to get acceptance, you know, like abortion A very sympathetic character will explain, I I had no choice but to get an abortion. You know, I remember just a couple months ago when the shutdowns let up and for a few weeks we were allowed to go to the movies. My family went to see a movie, and I can't even remember the name of it, but it was kind of an action adventure with a little touch of sci-fi in there. And we all went, and it was great to go to a movie theater again before the next shutdown began. But. Anyway, just right in the middle of that movie, there was a lot of time spent on a couple of women who developed a sexual relationship. And I was thinking, come on, I'm here to be entertained. And I thought this was an action movie. You know, had I known, maybe that's something I would have considered earlier, but it's always thrown in. That's entertainment nowadays is whoever the good guys are and whoever the bad guys are. It's following a leftist paradigm. Now, as far as news goes, It's been predominantly liberal for a long time, and now I'm going to go off on Fox News a little bit. Hope you don't mind. (laughs) Rupert Murdoch, I was never convinced, was a real Republican or conservative, but he did start Fox News, and he just very simply looked out into the market of news reporting and just said, you know, we've got all these news outlets catering to the same crowd, the left of center Americans. I mean, conservatives and liberals just happen to see news events in a different way, and they happen to value different news events differently. And lo and behold, all the news outlets were out there catering to the liberal American. And Rupert Murdoch came along and thought, well, what about conservative Americans? You know, they have zero news outlets catering to them. And I should say, centered to right. Aside from like the Wall Street Journal and a couple of websites at the time, but as far as TV news, reporting news in a way that would appeal to moderates and conservatives, there was nothing until Fox News came along. And I'm sure Rupert Murdoch was looking over his shoulder just wondering, hey, this seems too easy. You know, we've got this big, huge market share all to ourselves because it's been abandoned by everybody. He was probably looking over his shoulder wondering when is one or more of these other news outlets, when are they going to start coming over here and trying to compete for this market share? They never did. And in fact, just the opposite. NBC News has been a liberal news network for a long time, and they created MSNBC News. I forget what the motivation was for that. But At some point, MSNBC News just became even more liberal than NBC News. So NBC News created a competitor, (laughs) you know, not a very smart idea, but such is the quest for disseminating news in a liberal way to a liberal market, you know, that NBC News didn't mind creating a competitor. So that was a real boneheaded move. And I'm sure The whole time, I'll bet Rupert Murdoch was probably looking over his shoulder just saying, maybe CBS News will come out with a a kind of an MSNBC News, you know, version, another news outlet or something specifically created to appeal to moderates and conservatives. But no, they never did. This whole crowd of news, they're all still appealing to the same number of liberals in the United States. It's bizarre as far as I was going, I was talking about the major institutions. And of course, news is mostly a liberal institution. I think Rupert Murdoch is handing over controls to his offspring. I don't know exactly who, but I get the impression that they have been educated in far left educational institutions, which is almost a redundant statement, but they grew up As liberals, and now they're in charge of Fox News. And over the last, say, six months or so, Fox News has made it pretty clear that they do not want to appeal to the middle or the right of center people. They look down on those people just as much as uh, CNN people do. (laughs) So that's where we're at as far as news. Even Fox News is going back into the fold and is going to be aligning itself with ABC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, PBS, CNN, I might have missed a few, but all of those news channels cater to the same left of center market. And now Fox News is moving over in that direction. And as far as news reporting, I find myself listening to Newsmax a lot. I think this is a golden opportunity for the blaze if it wants to expand and become a news channel. And one, America News Network, I don't think I've seen that one. In fact, I might have read some headlines on that one. But anyway, I'm going over institutions. There's the media. That means news and entertainment are all leftist. And academia, of course, is all leftist. And now we have sports. If you'll remember a few years ago, we were all treated to the spectacle of these millionaire football players who could not earn much at all. In other countries, uh, they're making their millions here in the United States. But yet, the United States is such an awful country that they can't find it in themselves to stand during the national anthem. Instead, they will take a knee. And that started spreading throughout the football world. And next thing you know, baseball, basketball, and now, hockey. I mean, I can't think of a more middle-class, middle-income, right-of-center, pastime, then getting the guys together and either going to a hockey game or watching a hockey game on TV. And now that has been taken over. At least the higher ups at the league management are now leftist as well. So now we've got all major institutions in this country. And I can tell you the legal in the legal industry has been liberal for a long time. So we've got. Many major institutions in the United States that are all far leftist and have now been taken over by the leftists. And the latest I heard from the Hockey League is that somebody from the Trump administration got a job in the NHL and somebody raised a stink about it. Wait a minute, that guy is from the Trump administration. Why are you hiring him? Oh, okay, we got to fire him. And the next thing you know, He's basically been blacklisted because he was in the Trump administration. Okay, so what are the reasons for blacklisting and deplatforming and firing Trump supporters and or conservatives and or Republicans and or Christians? The latest has been the January 6th so-called siege of the Capitol, where a whole bunch of people went to hear President Trump speak on January 6th. There was some talk about going to the Capitol and peacefully protesting. In fact, President Trump used the word peaceful. Then the crowd moved towards the Capitol to protest, which is part of the First Amendment. I mean, it's the very wording of the First Amendment, to peacefully protest. But apparently the Capitol Hill police saw this huge crowd coming, and they just cut and ran. And so the Capitol building itself was wide open, while the House of Representatives and the Senate were in session actually counting the votes for the presidency. And the first people in that crowd stormed the Capitol and and started making threatening noises. And I think as the photos of that event are studied, there are a number of people who look at these photos and say, wait a minute, that guy was in that BLM protest a couple months ago. Or that person was at the Antifa you know, in, in Portland or whatever, trying to burn down a courthouse, and of course there were some Trump supporters who got carried away. I think there was another crowd of just law-abiding Trump supporters who wanted to protest, and then they came across the Capitol and they saw the the doors wide open. This is my theory? They probably just walked in out of curiosity. What's going on here? And. Had they known that this was something the Capitol Hill police left because they feared for violence, this crowd probably would have turned right around and and left. But anyway, this, I think it was a false flag operation, partly. And that's the latest excuse. But any excuse will do. Trump has been accused of being a racist for a long time. And now Trump supporters are being accused of being violent. And that's the latest excuse. Now, who's doing this? The prominent name, of course, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but there are a number of Democratic office holders who are promoting the idea of keeping a list of people who were either in the Trump administration or people who had supported Trump. And shame on Forbes magazine for getting into the act as well. Forbes magazine used to be an interesting magazine. I wouldn't touch it right now for this very reason, that they seem to be part of this blacklisting movement. So, what can you do about it? And if I haven't mentioned it before in this episode today, I do think this is a relevant issue for a survival podcast. Remember, Survival in Motion, the name implies that you learn, adapt, prepare, survive to different situations. And this podcast has always been meant to discuss ways of surviving the end of the world, and also just a mild inconvenience and everything in between. And obviously, this falls in between. It's not the end of the world. But your job situation could be affected by this. The safety of your family could be affected. Your ability to get a mortgage for your home, your ability to get a promotion at work, your ability to remain a private citizen without being doxed, all these are affected by the possibility of being blacklisted. So this is a prepper issue. This is a issue that is valid and belongs on a survival podcast. What is there that you can do? Now, some of us, like myself, if I was confronted, are you a Trump supporter? I would have a hard time not extending my middle finger into the face of somebody, say, you're damn right, I'm a Trump supporter. And if you're looking for somebody who's going to back down, you've come to the wrong person. That's just me, and that's probably a few of us here. But I can totally understand if you're a family person, you're worried about your family, you're worried about your children, I can understand taking a different approach. So that's why I would recommend some things. Obviously, No bumper stickers, no signs in front of your house. And for some people, it might be a good idea to go ahead and register as an independent instead of as a Republican, because many states, the people registered as one party can vote in the nomination elections in the other party and vice versa. And remember, that's what Operation Chaos was about with Rush Limbaugh, that the Republicans, I can't remember the year, but Republicans already had a nominee sewed up. So Rush Limbaugh said, all right, you guys, even though you're still registered as a Republican, go and vote in the Democratic nomination and try to get the Democrats to elect the craziest candidate as their nominee. But anyway, that was just an example. But the point is, in in a lot of states, you can register as an independent or even a Democrat and still vote in the Republican primary. So it's a good idea to register as a Democrat or as an independent even though you can vote uh, the same. And obviously, watch your online media, uh, watch your social postings, and you have to keep your mouth shut at work. I know of one teacher who is keeping his mouth shut, (laughs) and he still has a job. So that's something else you have to do. You have to minimize the outward appearance that you might be a conservative, a Trump supporter, or a Republican. And it's sad. I'm kind of sad as I'm saying this, That's kind of indicative of the lessening of freedom in our country. But that's where we're at today. I've read a number of articles of people from the old Soviet Union who've come over here, and they're speaking out now. They're saying, hey, this is what I felt back in the Soviet Union, is that people were not free to express their political beliefs. Well, that's where we're at right now, unfortunately. At least we still have the secret ballot Although that is becoming threatened right now, when you can keep your choice of who you vote for secret, that's one of our final things that we have that we can point to and say we're still kind of a free country. Although, let me tell you my own experience. I went into the voting booth a few years ago. I I now vote by the mail, but I went to the polling station and walked up and they said, what's your name? I gave my name and they said, Oh, we can't find your name. Oh, here it is. Republican. <laughs> and they announced to the whole room that I was Republican and I felt some stares. But anyway, that's one way of challenging that secret ballot. And at some point I could foresee records being kept of various ballots and how that ballot voted and how they can connect the person who had that ballot, to you. So that's one of the hallmarks of a free country, and that's under attack. And I think that's the final thing. And once that goes, we're just done. You know, I want to end this episode on one final depressing thought, which is a historian, Glubb is his name, John Glubb, who came up with an interesting theory that the great countries basically last 250 years, and then they're over with. And he's come up with several examples through the years, you know, the classic Roman Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Spanish Empire, the great English Empire. They all had 250 years, and then they broke up, and then they fell from prominence. And the only question in my mind is, if we are in that final stage of the 250th year coming up, what will follow that? I don't know. Are we going to have another military civil war or a number of states seceding all at the same time? I don't know. Or will it be a more docile post-America, kind of like what England has right now? A standard of living, which is down the list, their level of freedom is not what it used to be. They have no more empire. It's a has-been of a country. But it's still a decent place to be there. It's not extremely dangerous. I don't want to say it's a great place, but as far as a former empire, it's not so bad. And I'm hoping that if the United States comes to an end, I'm hoping that that is what we become like. Kind of just a has been country that's not really violent. It's not, you know, what it used to be, but it's not uh, horrible either. That's my hope. Anyway, guide your preps accordingly. Keep your head low if you are so inclined. If you're not me, probably be a good idea to hide your political affiliations and your political ideas. Minimize any kind of uh, social media, political interaction and do your best to keep you and your family safe from being blacklisted, but that is what is now coming through. Uh, Of course, like I said, it's not called blacklisting, but that's what's going on. So it's a matter of survival, and like with all survival issues, we have to learn, we have to adapt, we have to prepare, and then we have to survive. That's those four words that are so important at this podcast, the Survival in Motion podcast. So I hope you found today's episode of the Survival in Motion podcast maybe a little sobering, but educational and informative. And I think this is needed information. This is something we all need to be aware of that's coming down the pike and getting more momentum. I hear the music. That means our time is up. Thank you for joining me. God bless.